Hello, I am Dr Richard Booker, I am a haematologist in the West Midlands, England, and this is Don't Just Read the Guidelines. Don't Just Read the Guidelines is a podcast that explores ideas and research the cutting edge of medicine, especially anything to do with blood. I aim to provide a platform to incredible people you probably haven't heard from before, to share their work, ideas and most importantly, their unfounded opinions. We will take you beyond the guidelines, into the evidence behind them, and most interestingly, into the sticky world of opinion and conjecture. If you enjoy this episode, subscribe to this podcast on your preferred platform, and don't forget to leave a review. If you have something to share or would like to come on the podcast, find me on Twitter, at Richard Booker. Thanks for joining me. I'm going to do something a bit different on this episode. I'm going to just talk myself, which is kind of brave, um, and you'd be more than welcome to switch off halfway through. But essentially this came about because a consultant of mine asked me to prepare a talk on the treatment of atrial fibrillation in hemodialysis or peritoneal dialysis patients. So this is where this came about from. Um, really, we through our anticoagulation service at Royal Stoke Hospital in the UK, um, we've had we, we always get patients referred for uh, anticoagulation monitoring, but we also offer advice on the choice of treatment um, and whether really that treatment's appropriate. Um, and recently, we've had a few patients through from the renal team who've got end-stage renal failure on hemodialysis um, who have new diagnosed AF. Um, and clearly, this isn't a new problem, but with new um, with newer uh, evidence base, um, we've really been thinking about what our practice should be. Um, so I'm going to talk for 20 minutes, half an hour or so on anticoagulation for prevention of AF-related stroke in end-stage renal failure patients who are on dialysis. I'm not going to cover patients who uh, are not on dialysis because it's a whole talk in itself, so i.e. patients with low EGFR or low renal uh, creatinine clearance. Um, we're just going to focus on dialysis. So I started the talk, which I did the other day for some nurses and a couple of consultants, um, with a couple of cases and asked them to vote. Um, so the first case was a 66-year-old man with end-stage renal failure. He's on hemodialysis. He's got paroxysmal AF that was noted at a recent dialysis session. He's type 2 diabetic and hypertensive. And those things combined to give him a CHADS2 VASC score of 3. So moderate risk of stroke. He's got no history of bleeding but he does have polypharmacy um, because of his uh, renal failure, including lots of antihypertensives, etc. But pertinently, he's not on any antiplatelets, uh, but he does take sertraline. So sertraline, the relevance of that is, I will let you uh, have a think. No, it's because SSRIs increase the risk of GI bleeding when given with anticoagulants. So I gave six options here. What would you recommend for this guy? Would you recommend apixaban 2.5 milligrams BD? Apixaban 5 milligrams BD? Atrial appendage occlusion, no anticoagulation at all, warfarin with an INR target of 2 to 3, or something else. And I'll just point out that he's 66 and his weight is 80 kilos. So I went around the room um, and um, most of the anticoagulation team wanted to give this guy warfarin, which is interesting in, in itself. Um, there was one vote for apixaban um, and possibly one for atrial appendage occlusion, and I'll talk about that later. So that was the first case. 
And then the second case is a 77-year-old man, so he's a bit older with end-stage renal failure, and he's also on hemodialysis. This time he's got persistent AF rather than paroxysmal. He's also diabetic and hypertensive, and has, has a chads 2 vasc score of 4, so just slightly higher than the last patient. He's got no history of bleeding, but has polypharmacy um, despite no antiplatelets. Again, the same options. What would you recommend? Apixaban 2.5, Apixaban 5, atrial appendage occlusion, no anticoagulation, Warfarin with an INR target of 2 to 3 or something else. And again, most of the team went for warfarin. So I want you to try and remember what you uh, would have would have done. And we'll, we'll touch this uh, touch on this again at the end and, and see if, you, if it's changed your practice at all. Okay. I'll caveat the rest of the talk by saying that I am a haematology registrar, not a consultant. But I have looked into the uh, evidence behind this. And we have had multidisciplinary discussions about this. Um, and actually, it doesn't take a consultant to, <coughs> to understand evidence. And in fact, perhaps juniors are sometimes better at doing that. So the, the problem in, in end-stage renal failure is that these patients have a higher risk, increased risk of stroke anyway, a higher increased risk of ischemic stroke, roughly 5 in 100 person years. But they also have an increased risk of bleeding. There's a high prevalence of AF in these patients, between 5 and 25%. And there's a wide, wide range there because we're not entirely sure. But the key thing here, that although these patients have a high risk of ischemic stroke and a high instance of AF, <clears throat> they, the, the, the link between AF and stroke in these patients is not that strong, whereas the link between AF and stroke in the general population is, is very strong. So what that means is patients are at high risk of stroke despite their AF. Paroxysmal AF in end-stage renal failure, again, perhaps not as important as in a general population, probably because of the etiology. If you can imagine through in a dialysis session, there, there's a lot of fluid shift going on. There's a lot of strain and pressure on that right ventricle, and that can lead to AF. Well, that's a theory anyway. So perhaps paroxysmal AF, whilst being a stroke risk in a uh, general population, is not as important as in this population. The next thing to talk about is scoring systems. So the last two patients I gave you, the CHADS-VASC score, um, but you'll appreciate that the CHADS-VASC score doesn't take into account renal, renal failure, which we know is an increase, uh, is an independent risk factor for stroke. Two um, scoring systems have been constructed. Um, one is the R2 CHADS2, which adds two points for creatinine clearance less than 60. And that shows mixed findings, not particularly well um, well uh, predictive of stroke. The second one is the ATRIA score, spelled A-T-R-I-A, and that includes points for a GFR less than 30 mils a minute or dialysis. And that had a borderline improved prediction compared to the CHADS2 VASC. But essentially what I'm trying to say is that these scoring systems don't really account for the increased risk of renal failure very well. As I alluded to before, these patients also have an increased risk of bleeding. We can use the HASBLED, which takes into account a creatinine over 200. And we can also use the ORBIT score, which takes into account a GFR of less than 60. But clearly those patients are not the same as patients that are on dialysis. I've already mentioned that these patients are at high risk of stroke and a high risk of bleeding. But I guess the question now is why? As I've already said, there's an increased risk of AF, although we've said that the link between AF and stroke in these patients isn't that strong. There's some data that suggests that a genetic variation that increases the renal risk independently increases the risk of stroke. And then renal failure has very substantial effects on vasculature. 
It can cause carotid artery stenosis to worsen and increase plaque size. It can accelerate arteriosclerosis. It can have effects on the endothelium such that the endothelium is dysfunctional. It can cause remodeling of cerebral vasculature and cerebral microbleeds. Then there's hematological effects such as uremic platelet dysfunction. So high levels of uric acid in the blood causing platelets to not work so well and not clot. And then concomitant drugs such as heparin, erythropoietin stimulating agents and anticoagulants. Um, and the other thing is procedures like line insertion and renal biopsy. So those all increase the risk of bleeding. Now, for a, a while now, warfarin has been the accepted anticoagulant, and for many years that was the only option for anyone. Now we have the DOAX, the Pixaban, Rivaroxaban, Dibigatran, and Idoxaban. But warfarin was the mainstay for many years. Now, anyone who's ever worked in an anticoagulation service will appreciate that the maintenance of a stable INR in someone with end-stage renal failure is very challenging, but perhaps don't understand why. Now, it's reported that downregulation of cytochrome P450 enzymes happens uh, with chronic uremia. And also you've got many, many drugs interact, uh, perhaps not true uh, florid interactions, but in their, um, as, a, as a sum of their parts, this does have a small or, or meaningful impact on the INR. The other thing with VKs, or warfarin mainly, is that they can actually contribute to the progression of vascular calcification, which increases the, the risk of arterial disease. We know in, uh, that calcium overload can uh, lead to the loss of vascular small muscles, muscle cells. Arterial wall calcification can increase the risk of mortality. And a little known uh, protein called matrix G1A, which is um, the natural physiological antidote to wall calcification, so arterial wall calcification, is dependent on vitamin K for its carboxylation and function. So not only are most hemodialysis patients slightly vitamin K deficient anyway, but if we then give them warfarin, uh, which, as you know, is a vitamin K antagonist, we not only prevent the formation of active clotting factors, but we also have other effects, particularly on G, uh, matrix G1A. The other thing is calciphylaxis, which is a feared complication of warfarin, where calcium deposition occurs uncontrollably in skin, soft tissues, etc., can occur in patients on, on warfarin and may be increased in patients with renal failure. So not only have we um, shone a light on the possible problems with warfarin, warfarin doesn't have the best evidence of efficacy uh, for stroke prevention in AF patients with renal failure either. Srandawa et al. in 2020 published a paper called The Association Between Use of Warfarin for AF and Outcomes Among Patients with End-Stage Renal Disease, which was a systematic review and meta-analysis. And they looked at 15 studies, including just over 47,000 patients, of whom 22% were on warfarin. And they saw that there was no real increased risk in ischemic stroke. Uh, sorry, no, increased, no change in the risk of ischemic stroke. No difference in major bleeding. No difference in overall mortality, but a higher risk of a hemorrhagic stroke. So together, that's not really telling you that there's any, any benefit to warfarin whatsoever. And there are some nice pro, uh, forest plots in that paper you can have a look at. And they are very well balanced, um, favouring doing nothing, essentially. So in the modern era, we're now using DOAX. And 
as you know, DOAX, uh, in, the, in, the, in the, main, the main trials of DOAX, patients with end-stage renal failure or even EGFRs less than, than, than 30 were excluded, apart from Pixaban, which included less than 25. Or oh, sorry, GFRs, creatinine clearance, not EGFRs. It's a common mistake. Um, in 2018, scientists at AL looked at some real-world data of patients who had been um, using DOAX in end-stage renal failure, and they did some very uh, smart uh, post-hoc matching. Um, so they took a Pixaban patients and matched them one to three with warfarin patients. And if you look in the paper, you'll see that the, the groups were very highly comparable. Clearly, this is still retrospective data. It's not randomized, so it doesn't tell us everything, but it is indicative. And what they found was um, a higher risk of major bleeding in the warfarin group, a similar stroke risk between apixaban and warfarin, a higher GI bleeding risk in the warfarin group, similar intracranial bleeding, and similar risk of death. So not much to choose from in terms of stroke prevention between AF and warfarin, but we have seen that uh, apixaban looks to possibly be safer. Um, and this is generally patients with a five milligram BD dose. So they did some more interesting analysis where they looked at patients that were on five BD or 2.5 BD in that paper and compared them. And they found actually that there was a much improved risk of stroke with the five BD dose. And actually this dose improved uh, decrease the risk of mortality significantly when compared to 2.5 milligrams BD with no difference in major bleeding. So my conclusion from that study really is that whilst we don't have prospective data, or my conclusion from the two studies really, the, the, the randomised, uh, the meta-analysis and Scientis et al, is that whilst we don't have randomised controlled prospective data looking at stroke prevention in these patients, if we're going to do something, perhaps the intervention that we would want to give would be a Pixaban 5BD. So in 2012, the FDA approved a Pixaban 5BD for these patients with dose reduction to 2.5 if another of the uh, dose reduction criteria were fulfilled, i.e. age under over 80 or um, weight under 60 kilos. So I've touched on the RCTs. Now, when I say there's no RCT evidence, I kind of lie. Um, recently, there was a study called Renal AF, which randomized patients between warfarin and apixaban 5BD, or as I said before, 2.5BD if other reasons were there to dose reduce, i.e. weight or um, age. They enrolled 155 patients, although they did planned to enroll 760 and stopped early due to lack of funding. Um, their primary outcome really was safety. These are safety studies. Um, and they found that the risk of um, clinically relevant non-major bleeding was similar in Apixaban versus Warfarin, 31% versus 25%. That difference not significant. Um, no difference really in major bleeding, no difference in stroke, but they did see a uh, difference in cardiovascular death in favor of Warfarin. But this is a small study those outcomes weren't powered properly, um, especially not at those numbers, um, and it closed early. So that's the only randomized evidence we have in these patients, but there are three trials going on. One is AVK-DIAL, 
which is comparing a uh, warfarin with an INR of 2 to 3 versus no anticoagulation at all. And I like that. I think that's bold. I think there really is clinical equipoise here as to whether the patients are getting a benefit at all from anticoagulation. And they're planning an enrolment of 855 patients. And the study is powered for a net clinical benefit with composite endpoints of thromboembolism and bleeding. There are two more trials, SAFE-D, which compares warfarin, apixaban, and no anticoagulation. They're planning 150 patients. Again, this is a safety trial, really. And then the other uh, study, Axadia, comparing fenprocumon, which is another type of VKA, and apixaban 2.5 BD, planning to enroll around 200 patients. Again, a safety trial, really, not powered for net clinical benefit. So there's RCTs underway. As I said before, the FDA approved 5BD in 2012, really based on uh, pharmacokinetic studies. And apixaban seems to be the DOAC that's most liked in this situation. The reason being it's the one with the lowest renal excretion, only 27%, and the rest is through the liver. Um, apixaban is highly protein-bound and therefore not really particularly dialyzable. Um, but when we do look in patients with renal failure, you do see significant accumulation even after only eight days of 2.5 BD. And that was discussed and, and, and seen in this paper by Mavrakanis et al. in 2017. And that accumulation happens despite hemodialysis. So there are clearly some pharmacokinetic safety concerns as well. So there's a disparity here between the approval the pharmacokinetics and what we're seeing in patients and really the only way to answer this question properly is by randomized controlled trials which hopefully AVK dial will give us some answer to if, if only against uh, if only with the Pixaban versus nothing um, sorry uh, warfarin versus nothing that's what they're doing in AVK dial you'll remember back to the case studies uh, that I <clears throat> mentioned at the start that there may be other options in these patients and one of those options is potentially something called left atrial appendage occlusion. The left atrial appendage is where most of the clots form in AF and uh, cardiologists, cardiologists can go in percutaneously and block off that, um, that area which saves the, the, the atrium um, and then uh, reduces the stroke risk or theoretically reduces the stroke risk. Um, there's been number, numerous studies in um, in the general population which have generally found that these things are non-inferior to anticoagulation um, and possibly you know possibly safer in patients who uh, who can't have a can't have blood thinners really the the indication is a patient who definitely can't have a blood thinner you know someone let's say with a bleeding disorder like von Willebrand's disease with angiectasia all over the gut in end-stage renal failure patients, left atrial appendage occlusion hasn't been trialled prospectively, but there is a prospective observational study that looked at roughly 100 patients in three groups. One was left atrial appendage occlusion, one was oral anticoagulants, and one was versus no therapy. And they found that thromboembolic events were you know, roughly comparable, fewer hemorrhagic events in patients with uh, left atrial appendage occlusion, um, and uh, improved overall mortality in those patients who had the atrial appendage occlusion. I think the key thing in here is, is that this is not randomised data, it's prospective, so there will be a, a huge degree of selection bias. Um, but it does show that the, the procedure is relatively safe, although about 2% had major periprocedural complications, so it's not something to be done lightly. I'd like to touch on what's, what's in the guidelines. So as I said before, in 2012, the FDA approved a Pixaban 5BD. 
the American Heart Association, American Cardiology College, um, and uh, in 2014 said it was reasonable to prescribe warfarin with a CHADS-VAS score of greater than two for patients with renal failure. And in 2019, um, they updated their guidelines and said, quote, use of warfarin or pixaban might be reasonable in dialysis-dependent patients with AF, but further study is warranted. So essentially sitting on the fence. European guidelines in 2016 made no recommendation and in the 2021 NICE guidelines, AF in um, renal failure patients isn't mentioned at all. So we had a look in our um, uh, clinical data at work. So I work in a, a major tertiary hospital. We have plenty of patients under the anticoagulation service. And in 2020, we had um, 13 patients referred to our service with uh, EGFRs less than, well, sorry, with creatinine clearance less than 13, two of whom were on hemodialysis. And I actually looked into this um, and <laughs> both patients declined anticoagulation um, and both are still alive. Whereas the ones that uh, were either low EGFR, the vast majority have actually gone into warfarin but subsequently died, not of warfarin complications, I might add, but of, of other things. So in summary, End-stage renal patients on dialysis have a high incidence of AF, they have a high incidence of stroke, and they have a high risk of bleeding. But there's no prospective trial evidence supporting anticoagulation. I think if you had to choose and you had a patient in clinic who said, look, I really want anticoagulation, I'm really scared of a stroke, I think a Pixaban 5mg BD probably has the most evidence of benefit, and it's associated with decreased mortality compared to warfarin, but that's not the same as proven. I think the focus here is on quality of life and it has to be that individual decision. There's a lovely summary um, review by Koenigsbrugger at AL in 2019 called Atrial Fibrillation in Patients with End-Stage Renal Disease on Hemodialysis, Magnitude of the Problem and New Approach to Oral Anticoagulation. And they uh, are pretty guided, guarded in their, in their view, which is, look, we don't know that these treatments are safe. Um, we should be really careful about giving full-on anticoagulation to patients. And I'd be really intrigued to see what the practice is around the country. So, you've heard some of the evidence. Um, let's go back to our cases. What would you recommend? So our 66-year-old man with end-stage renal failure on hemodialysis with paroxysmal AF, type 2 diabetic and hypertensive. His CHADS-VAS score is 3 and there's no history of bleeding. He's not on any antiplatelets, but he is on sertraline. So my reflection on this case is that he's 66, he's quite young, so maybe that's something, and you might say, well, if he's on the transplant pathway, um, maybe that's something to consider. I think the key thing here is that he's got a relatively low Chatsvask score of three, at least it's not sky high. It's paroxysmal AF as well, um, and as I alluded to at the start, this is not associated necessarily with the adverse outcomes that are seen in a general population. So what would I recommend? Well, I mean, how long is a piece of string? This is a very difficult uh, thing to answer. And I think it would have to be guided by, um, by the patient and what he wants. But I think in him, if he wanted anticoagulation, I would recommend a Pixaban 5BD. And if he didn't, I would recommend nothing. The second patient, 77-year-old man with end-stage renal failure. He's also on dialysis, persistent AF this time, diabetic and hypertensive with a CHADS-VAS score of four. So getting there is quite a high CHADS-VAS score. He's got no history of bleeding and he has polypharmacy, but is not on antiplatelets. So again, I don't know, what would you recommend in this situation? It's got to be that individual patient decision based on what he wants and what he values in life. 
Um, it depends on his other functional status and, and, and his own fears and thoughts. But again, I think if he wanted something, he's under 80, he's over 60 kilos, would use a Pixspan 5BD. I think it's got the best evidence. Um, certainly, warfarin doesn't seem to be beneficial. But we will have these answers in, in due course with AVK, AVK Dial, the 800 strong, 800 patient strong randomized control trial that is coming and really need to look out for. So that's it. Thank you very much for listening. I'd love to know your thoughts. Look me up on Twitter at Richard Booker um, and uh, we'll see you soon. Don't just read the guidelines is for education and entertainment only and should not be taken as medical advice. I certainly can't guarantee the factual accuracy of the content, nor do my guests' views reflect my own. If you notice any errors, please feel free to tweet me, at Richard Booker. If you like these podcasts, please take the time to write a review on iTunes, Google, or wherever else you listen. It will really help others find the podcast. See you soon.